My message today is entitled, Time to Evaluate. I was going to say test time, but that kind of scares people whenever I use the word test. Um, So I'll just use the word evaluate. Today is our annual meeting following our worship service. And while we'll be looking at our budget and our ministries and our outreach, others will also be assessing the current direction and vision of the church. There are many ways to evaluate or assess my role as your pastor. Some look at our weekly attendance numbers on Sundays. Some look at how big our membership list is. Others look at to see if we're in the red or if we're in the black with our finances. Some look at programs and events. And others look at the quality of our music and other parts of our service. However, the true way to assess your pastor is by looking at your own life. In your walk with Jesus over the past three years, it's been a little over three years since Nancy and I were first called to come up to this position. So if you look at where you have been in the past three years, under the teaching that I believe God has given me to share with you, it's a good way to evaluate me. Now understanding that each of you has a free will, and each of you chooses whether or not to follow God and to act on the convictions of the Holy Spirit and the promptings of your heart, You each know where you are spiritually while attending this church in part or all of the past three years since Nancy and I arrived. Some of you are actively involved in Bible studies. Some of you are actively involved in ministries or in leadership and outreach opportunities. Some attend weekly and others come at different times. That's fine. That's true of every church. Based on your own individual commitment, and your commitment levels to life in the church, and your uh, choice to spend time with God, it only stands to reason that as each of you assess your own faith, and your own motivations, and your understanding of His Word, and your your willingness to serve others in love, and your willingness to work through differences with others to glorify God in all you do, what you are really doing, in one way, is evaluating me as your pastor or shepherd as the Bible calls that. So how do you assess where each of you are with God? I believe Paul has given us a fantastic evaluation tool in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 12. Early on, when I was first born again Christian, I was challenged by many to start memorizing Scripture. I don't have it all in my head, but I I had at one time memorized this whole chapter. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter that really gives us a checklist of how we are doing in in our walk. And some people say, how are you doing? Oh, I think I'm doing good. How do you know? Well, if we can use Romans chapter 12 as a way to gauge our individual walks with Christ, it kind of gives us a, a biblical way to see truthfully where we are at. So as we study it today, let us each take it to heart to see how our own lives line up with this biblical criteria And let us choose in what areas we need to be more committed as we go forward. Now we're all, uh, we we all make mistakes. We all have sin. We all don't measure up. The Bible says that. So the goal is not to bring condemnation. The goal is to say, this is where I line up. And as I'm convicted of the Holy Spirit, God help me in this area to improve in this area. And as we are open and humble, then we all grow together. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, In view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, Gideon writes the point, if we don't understand and take into account the gift of God's mercy of Him dying for us, then we stunt our growth and limit our ability to offer our lives up to God for His service. God's mercy is not only about sending Jesus to die for our sins and to pay the penalty that we deserve, which obviously is His mercy, but it's also giving us a chance to confess our sins and to repent, which is a change in mind. To repent and turn to God for hope and restoration. If He were not a merciful God, we would be judged on the basis of the clear law that He gave us and the same law that governs our hearts and convicts us of wrongdoing by the Holy Spirit. But because He is a God of mercy, He gives us time. He gives us second chances and third chances. He, he continues to work on all of us because He is a graceful and merciful God. Yet because of His mercy, if we truly seek to understand, appreciate, and appropriate it, we should all be willing to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Now, he doesn't mean that we all need to get on a cross and crucify ourselves, but it does mean that we need to continually, daily, crucify our flesh and say, God, I choose to live for you and not for what my flesh wants to do. And notice that this is not just for the super saint or the super spiritual or just for the apostles or the prophets or the evangelists or the pastors. This verse clearly states that offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, in purity and in forgiveness and in love, is true and proper worship. It's not something only the elite do. It's how we are to, how we are to properly worship God, is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What this means is that it is expected that all believers and followers of Jesus are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. In fact, the original versions of the Bible state that this is our reasonable service. It's not nothing on the order. That's just our reasonable service is to offer ourselves unto God. Thus, if we are not desiring daily to offer our bodies and our minds and our motivations and our thoughts and our behaviors as living sacrifices to God, then are we truly worshiping and serving God? If you are immediately convicted by this right now, and you see times as, as, as this is being read, that you know that your life is off in this area, then choose to confess it to God. Repent by changing how you view your true and proper worship and reasonable service to Him. Commit to go forward with the proper frame of mind and daily reliance on the Holy Spirit to keep your heart preserved before God. It's not about shaming you. It's just acknowledging it and moving on. Thankfully, we serve a merciful and gracious God. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we are not committed to offering our bodies and our minds and our lives to God on a daily basis, we will conform to the pattern of this world. I don't know about you, but as you go on, the pull into the world is getting stronger and stronger. And so it's a daily choice that we have to make to die to ourselves and die to the world and choose to offer ourselves and our lives up to God. 
The world is constantly trying to change our allegiance to itself instead of to God. We must make a diligent effort to seek God and be open to conviction and line our lives up with the truth in His Word. We are always either going forward or backward. There's no standing still. If you go on a sand, a sand dune, if you've ever been in the sand dunes, you can walk up it or you can go back down, but you can't stand still because if you stand still, your feet sink into the sand and it develops around your, and you actually end up going backwards. It's the same with our, our walk with faith. We are either seeking God or we're falling back. We can't just stand still and say, I'm being content. We must continue to seek God and to go forward. When we commit to God through prayer and meditation in His Word, we are transformed as our mind is being renewed. We actually break out of the pattern that the world is trying to conform us to. In doing so, our changed lives take on an even greater contrast to the world. I've talked about that a lot. That you will know a Christian by the contrast in the world. If they just look just like the world, then how is it anything different? And especially as we get into the end times and the later days, there will be a greater contrast for those who are following, following Christ. We must be willing to stand with that contrast to choose to stand with Jesus. You see, if you look too much like the world during the week, then you really haven't renewed your mind and been transformed by the power of God. It's easy to look like Christ in church on Sunday, but if you are transformed, you look like Christ throughout the week as well. Again, if you are convicted in this right now, that you act differently around family and friends of the world as compared to how you act in church on Sundays, then it's up to you to choose to confess and repent and be willing to change in order to prove God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. No one is perfect. We're always going to make mistakes. But repentance is more than just changing your direction. It's a change in the thought in your mind. Your mind changes and realizes what God's will is. That's how you prove God's will, is by being renewed and being transformed by His Word. However, if you don't take this evaluation seriously, if you ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if you choose to change nothing and say, I'm okay, and continue on with your life and having little contrast with the world, then you are outright choosing to not follow God's will for your life. God's will and our Sinful nature's will are diametrically opposed to one another. We must continue to submit ourselves to God to change to be more like Him. We all have a choice to trust and obey or to ignore and minimize the commands of God. But all choices have consequences. Thanks be to God, however, that He does give us the mercy and grace to confess, to repent, and to be forgiven and restored by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as we submit to Him each and every day. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. It is this truth right here that calls us to give a sincere judgment of ourselves, of our inner motivations, of our attitudes towards others, in all of our words and thoughts and actions. It's easy to say, I'm good. I'm good. But God says to give sober judgment. To not compare yourself to one another, that's not our measuring stick. Our measuring stick is Jesus Christ. With this grace, we understand that we are called 
to serve others. To not think of ourselves as better or above anyone else. And to see ourselves as sinners in need of God's forgiveness and in need of God's grace. Instead of those who have arrived and don't need to change anything. It is our willingness to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that best fits into the body of Christ. Where we meet others' needs. Seeking always to work through forgiveness. And it's tough. But when we seek to do that hard work, then the the blessing is we are all blessed as a body. And continuing to be in awe by the mercy and grace of God to not just call us Christians, but God calls us family and children. We should continually be in awe of that. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It's a clear theme of God's Word that we are members of one another because we are in the same body of Christ. If we all care about the body that we are part of, then it stands to reason that we commit ourselves to one another. This, in fact, is the premise that churches are built upon by having members who choose to commit to one another, who commit to pray for one another, who commit to serve one another in love, who commit to build each other up and give to the work of the church so that we are all able to grow together. We all have different gifts and different functions and different roles we fill. Yet in the body of Christ, we are one if we understand that we are members of one another, committing to praying together and growing together. Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is in prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Our spiritual gifts and talents are not self-developed. They're not given to you by studying or by attending a seminary or by you doing daily disciplines. They're not simply due to your hard work or choices. They are spiritual gifts given by God. And they're given by the grace of God who seeks us to use them not to further our own agenda, but to build His kingdom, to help others and to share Jesus with the world. Yet it is only by using our gifts for the betterment of all to serve others that we really honor God and give thanks for His blessings. Thus, when God has given me at times a prophetic word, which means a word that I believe God gives me in a certain season to share with with you, to give the church, depend on maybe what we're going through, maybe what the world's going through, then I must be obedient to share that word with you for the betterment of the church. Whether it's a tough word or whether it's a soft word, if God gives it to me for the church, I have to be obedient to share that. God equips each church with the gifts it needs to function. But its functioning is dependent upon each other's willingness to walk in their respective gifts and callings so that we can grow as a body and be the hope of Jesus to our community and to our world. Romans 12, 7 and 8. If it is serving, then serve, if that's your gift. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. 
If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then lead diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are all not just an attitude of our mind and heart. Remember, these are spiritual gifts given by God. And each of us has a gift or several gifts that God expects us to share with the church so that we can all grow together. Churches could not function if people were not willing to serve. We are greatly thankful for all those who serve in the capacities in which they have been called in this church. And we look forward to many more opportunities in the future where we can serve together. We also understand that while there are many who may be knowledgeable in some areas, there's also a special gift of teaching with your ability to teach by God's grace. And so if that is your gift, then we are called to teach and mentor others, being open to questions and thoughts and opinions, but teaching the uncompromised truth of God's Word. I want to emphasize, however, that no single gift is any better than any one gift because they've all been given by God and by His grace to meet an ordained need by Him. You've heard me say it before. What's the best gift? It's what's needed at the time. God ordains gifts and callings so that we can share and meet needs at the time. The gift of encouragement is needed quite often in the church. And while we all can use encouraging words at times, some people truly have a gift to encourage others. I'm sure you know someone that just is always encouraging, always sending cards and sending notes and sending positive thoughts. And that's just a gift. It's not a forcing. It just comes natural to them. In fact, if you truly desire for God to use you, then pray that He would give you the gift of encouragement and allow God to show you countless opportunities to share this gift. God has also called us to give to the work of the Lord, giving tithes and offerings to our local churches so that we can be the hope of the world. And yet God has also incredibly blessed the lives and hearts of some to be generous in their giving to the work of the Lord through the local church. We thank God for all of you and for all your giving by responding to do that. We greatly appreciate the sacrifices that have been made in the giving that continues to allow us to minister at this church. Some are also called to lead and even given the discernment of God and the boldness of grace to lead others. I pray that God continues to endue me and others with this anointing to lead the church for His purposes. It's not easy when people have different thoughts, different backgrounds, and different perspectives, but we have to be open and we will make mistakes but we must be willing to lead for the betterment of all. We must be willing to forgive and extend grace. That's a whole part about restoration and reconciliation with each of us as we grow closer to God. The final gift mentioned here, though there are many more, is the gift of showing mercy. Without this, we would simply be a building where events are being held instead of a caring family invested in the lives of others. So as you evaluate your own walk in Christ, look over this list. In what ways is God calling you even more in in His calling for you and in His gifts He has given you? If you feel convicted that you have not responded fully to how He has called and not shared your gift of grace with others to the fullest of your capacity, ask God to renew your mind. It's not about being shameful. God, renew my mind. Transform me. Thank you for my season of healing. Use me, God. Use me to allow my gift that you give me so I can be a blessing to our entire family of God. 
You see, a spirit-led evaluation of our lives is not about condemnation, but rather renewal and commitment to following Christ. His mercies are new every morning, and His promise to restore and to redeem remain available to all who are willing to seek Him. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It sounds simple enough. I don't think it can be said any simpler than that, as a matter of fact. Our love must be sincere, making sure that our actions and our words and our thoughts line up with the Word of God. And it is the Word that is our measuring stick, knowing the difference between good and evil. Unfortunately, too many people today have used other measuring sticks for their assessment of morality. Some common misused measuring tools are cable news stations. They're going to tell me what's right or wrong. Political parties. I'm sure they won't be too biased. Social movements. Charismatic people. And even church leaders who are moved more by pride and influence rather than by the uncompromising truth of the Word of God. We must line up our hearts and our minds with the Word of God hating what is evil in God's eyes and loving what is good. And at the same time, we must separate the sin from the sinner so that we can extend love and grace and forgiveness. Listen, if we didn't separate it, you would, you, you'd kick me right out. Just like all of you, I'm a sinner. I have a sinful nature. That's the propensity in us that goes that. And so when we come against something that's wrong, we need to know that all of us sin. The Bible says that all of us fall short of the grace of God. But by His grace, when we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And so as a people, we need to separate that, deal with the sin and set up a standard against it, but love the person. That's the whole goal of restoration. To acknowledge what's right and wrong, but to love the person. In doing so, we trust that God will take care of our needs as we seek to serve His kingdom as the sole motivation of, of responding to each other out of love. Next verse, Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Devoted takes a commitment. It takes an effort on our part. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Here is our evaluation checkpoint and goal. And you see that the only way that we can keep our spiritual fervor and never lack in zeal and passion is by continually honoring others above ourselves. We must be ever mindful of the things of God, ever praying for how God can use us in the lives of others, ever extending grace and forgiveness, and ever seeking to be closer to God. Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. While we may have good intentions for our pursuit of God, faithfully following Jesus' commands and loving others, it is not always the easiest thing to assess where we are with God. But this verse gives us three great measures to authenticate your faith. So as I'm evaluating myself, let's all evaluate ourselves on these three goals right here. Where are we? Number one, are you joyful in hope? In other words, where does your mind go while you're waiting for God to answer? Do you trust that God is in control? Or do you tend to worry? 
become negative, critical, or step into doubt. The true measure of authentic faith is that, when, is that we are always joyful in hope, no matter how long it takes for us to hear from God. Number two, which is harder? Are you patient in affliction? Do you allow God to build your faith during the trials of your life? Or do you demand relief from unfair events? Do you complain about injustice, knowing that God is aware of everything you're going through? Our patience, while we are being tested by life's challenges, is our declaration to the world that our faith is genuine. If we always complain when something goes wrong, even though Jesus told us it would go wrong, we always complain, and what does that say to the world about our faith? And yet we're called right here to be patient in our affliction. It's easy to broadcast your faith when you're being blessed and everything is going well. But the faith that you, but your faith of your witness is never stronger and never more influential than when you're going through a tribulation and still vocalizing your trust in God. Finally, number three, are you faithful in prayer? Do you pray at all times? Do you pray on all occasions for all who have needs? Or do you only pray when you have need of something? Do you understand that prayer is much more than just asking God to meet your needs? It's more than just going to Him with a list of, of, of needs and just asking God. That's not the only kind of prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Or coming into union. Communion, I come into union with His Spirit. With this perspective, we don't get frustrated when we think that our prayers are not being answered. On the contrary, when we understand the communion of prayer, we are blessed simply knowing that God hears us and that He speaks to us and that we find blessing and peace and power in His presence as He reveals Himself to us. Romans 12.13 Share with the Lord, with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This church is great. That's one of this church's gifts is practicing hospitality. Keeping our hearts right before God, we stay humble by sharing with others, whether it be our time that we're sharing or our talents or our treasures. We are all called to be a hospitable family of God. Verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Did you hear that? Bless those who persecute you. Again, here is another determining factor of our faith's authenticity and whether or not we have reached a mature level in our faith and our commitment to follow Jesus. Here's the truth. We will be persecuted. We will be treated unfairly and unjustly. But if we are truly giving Jesus to the world, we will be quick to pray for those who hurt us or disagree with us rather than call them names and curse them out. There are many today who misinterpret and misapply biblical concepts. They call it righteous anger when they curse someone out or speak against injustice in ungodly ways. It's okay to speak against it, but not in ungodly ways. Yet the truth is that we are called by Jesus to pray for our enemies and to bless those who persecute us. In fact, how others, how else will others be introduced to Jesus Christ if they live in darkness right now, we have to give them Jesus. We have to pray for them as Jesus commands us. Verse 15, 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Listen, through thick and thin, through good and bad, through trials and through blessings, the family of God is called to be genuine in their sincere love for one another and service to one another. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. As this chapter continues, you see that our faith, our faith is less about us and more about our service and attitude towards others. That's what keeps our heart pure before God. Humility is a sign that someone who generally trusts God is that's all they need. I'm humble enough, I'm going to trust God. That means I can serve others and God's going to take care of my needs. Living in harmony with others, refusing to let pride influence who you associate with, and keeping a pure heart and mind without conceit is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's not about how often you pray in front of others. It's not about how often you read the Bible or attend church. It's, it, is my heart right before God? Can I truly serve someone without expecting anything in return? Can I truly bless without getting any credit for, for something else? If I can do that and have a right motivation for God, then I'm following God. If when I mess up, I'm quick to repent and change my mind and go to God, then I know I'm quickly following God. It's not about counting how many times I'm, I'm perfect. It's about am I willing to quickly go to God. As we serve others and put other people's needs above ours, we know that we are getting closer to God. The whole goal in evaluating our lives is to know who God is to us. If you know where you came from, if you know what you've been rescued from, then God is your deliverer. God is your redeemer. God is your restorer. Who is God to you? Can you clearly articulate that? Not just that God is loving and loves me, but who is He to you personally? When we know where we've been and what we've been through and what He continues to rescue from us each and every day, then His revelation to us is what keeps us strong in our faith that we can be healthy as individuals and healthy as the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this day. We thank You for the ability of Your Word to convict us when we are off. And we thank You for Your grace and mercy which allows us and bids us to come near to repent, to confess. We thank You, God, for healing us and to make us as one. Help us to truly know who You are to each one of us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.